am back at it again on Halloween night. Yes, happy Halloween. I mean, belated Halloween for you guys, but it's still Halloween for like a few more hours for us. And if you're in Michigan like we are, it was cold and rainy. Surprise! Yeah, I feel like that's just a reoccurring thing every single year. It's always got to rain. I don't understand. But uh, my husband and the neighbor, they, they hooked it up pretty cool this year. We got the tractor trailer out, and we all had about eight chairs in the back. Yeah. Oh, it was so cool. And we sat out. We passed out candy to the kids up and down the street. Our kids went trick-or-treating and uh, had some wine in the flasks, and it was a good time. It was so cool. Definitely a cool experience to ride around like that and see everyone's reactions. Everyone was like, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Stopped at a house that was actually a haunted house, which reminded me like of the episode of Roseanne from the 80s or 90s when she would have the kids walk through their house. We talked about this. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. I know I wasn't the most avid Roseanne watcher, but I appreciate that uh, that you remember that. <laughs> it's fun. Good times. <laughs> we also picked um, our winners for the Michael Meyer themed giveaway, and we have Shannon Rosales from Link, nope, Southgate, Michigan. She was a little And we have Lisa Moore from Romulus and Lorenzo Lentini, a reoccurring winner um, for third place from Southgate. So thank you guys again for your donations. Please keep them coming. Yes, we have a, a Christmas one coming up. We're going to skip november um just because we did it the past two months but we're gonna do um christmas one we're gonna have some cool themes in there and we'll obviously like post pictures when the time comes once we get stuff for that um but yeah you definitely want to get in on that because we always got some cool stuff for you guys don't let christmas fool you we're still gonna keep it creepy oh for sure yeah creepy christmas hashtag ding 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 (laughs) yeah (laughs) name spoiler alert (laughs) So if you listened to the show last week, you know that we talked about Silence of the Lambs and all the fun stuff that brought. So we're kind of continuing on with that theme-wise, and I am going to tell a story about Joe Metheny. And there's some fun stuff in this one, so yeah. Uh, real life, uh, real life cannibals. We're discussing today some creepy people uh, out there. I know there's l- probably a ton of other ones, uh, but we wanted to find some that weren't like super well known. Obviously, we thought about the Ed Gain, aka Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, but that was kind of close. We wanted to go a little bit more different. So yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you guys about Joe. So, before I do that, Crystal, what are we drinking today? Oh my gosh, I thank you for reminding me. I didn't even think to say it. Um, I know. Listen, I had some wine in the trailer. Now I'm having some wine now. It's slowing my brain down. Um, (laughs) We are having Witch's Brew. Now, which flavor is this again? The apple? Spiced apple. Spiced apple, yes. And I like this flavor, personally, better than, like, the original Witch's Brew. Um, It's kind of just more crisp, I would say. So definitely want to check this one out because it's got a nice flavor to it. And you'll see in the picture, too, when we post it, um, there's some cute little cupcakes that got posted. Crystal made us Halloween cupcakes, and they were so delicious and cute. Oh, yay. I know. She was setting it up for the picture, and I'm like, you're you're putting my cupcakes in there? Oh my gosh, so sweet. <laughs> and the husband made chili, venison chili. Yes. Oh, it was so good. And it was perfect because it was cold and rainy. We came home and ate chili and warmed right up. Exactly. It, it literally warmed us right up. Went in my belly and I was like, mm, I am happy now. <laughs> okay, so now I will tell you about Joe Metheny. <laughs> so Joseph Roy Metheny was born March second 1955 from baltimore maryland around that area um he said himself that he was a serial killer and that he killed up to 13 people however sufficient evidence was only found to convict him for two his victims were heavily involved with alcohol and addictive hard drugs 
as was Metheny himself, and the, the killings also involved brutal and sexual assaults. So Metheny, ironically, he was known as tiny in the 90s, but he was 6'1", and he was tall and large-framed, and he weighed over 450 pounds. Damn. He was a big boy. He was not tiny for a man who was called tiny. That's really funny. (laughs) He had been spending some time in bars, living with bands of homeless men in the makeshift camps of South Baltimore. Um, He was spending nearly all of his money on crack, cocaine, heroin, and liquor. However, he did have a steady job as a forklift driver, and that was... He was described it as intelligent. They said he was well-spoken, and he was very well-mannered when it came to work life. Hmm. Now, Joe's father was an alcoholic, um, but he was also killed in a car accident when he was six. So his mother took over the reins of raising him and his five siblings. So the six children... um, were with her, but she worked double shifts outside the home. So, which meant Metheny and his siblings had to bounce from, like, house to house. Um, she would kind of, whoever would take them in, she'd pay for them to stay there for, you know, amounts of time. It was almost like a foster home without being foster home like legally official. on papers. Yeah, gotcha. so... It might have been, like, friends of family or, you know, stuff like that. But to him, being six, it probably felt like being in the system. Because he was with other people more than he was with her. Okay. Um, So, Metheny falsely claimed that his mother was dead for a while. Um, His mother said that they were somewhat poor and she had to work hard as a waitress, barmaid, food truck driver... But she provided for her children with, like, a normal family life. And that her children had never gone hungry. They were put into homes with other families, like he claimed. But they never went without the basics. Like, she did provide for them. She said that Metheny was an above-average student. He was polite. He was not mean as a child. She said he was smart, he had a good childhood, and if he was neglected, it was on his own, his own fault. He came from a pretty good home. Uh, Metheny joined the United States Army when he turned 18 in 1973. His mother said that he had served Germany, although he claimed that he served a tour in Vietnam and had become addicted to heroin while he was in the artillery unit there. It's funny how it seems like Like, he's just so opposing to everything that his mother's saying. You have to wonder. I mean, obviously, he's a bad guy. We're, you know, going to find out. But, like, you have to wonder, like, where's the truth? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is it her? she's telling the truth? Or was he telling the truth? Like, so much, like, back and forth, it seems like, between the two. Yeah. His mother said that she had no recollection of him serving in Vietnam and that the circumstances of his service were reported as unverified in press reports. American involvement in Vietnam had ended by that time. Metheny seldom contacted his mother after he joined the Army. She said he just kept drifting further and further away, and I think the worst thing that ever happened to him was drugs. In 1994, Bethany was living with his girlfriend and their six-year-old son in South Baltimore. However, he worked as a truck driver, so he was gone for long stints of time on the road. One day, he came home and realized that his girlfriend had abandoned him and taken their child. She was a drug addict and began living on the streets, Bethany said in his confession. I quote, I found out about six months later that she had moved on the other side of town with some assholes that were selling her ass for drugs. His words, not mine. (laughs) They got busted for drugs and they took my son away and um, they got them for neglect and child abuse. He goes on to claim that he had no choice of going to social services and trying to get his son back due to his past criminal record. So I took it upon myself with the hatred that I had for these two who lost my son. 
I was going to look for them. I had found out from someone that they were going under a bridge and getting high with some homeless motherfuckers who lived under the bridge. Again, his words. Wow. So, Methany was enraged by this. He went out to find his former girlfriend. He couldn't locate her, though instead he ran into two homeless men. And then in a fit of anger, he killed them both with an axe and proceeded to chop them up into tiny little pieces, leaving their bodies right where he had found them. Well, well, that's one way to blow off steam, I guess. Jeez. cleaned up your mess at least rude gosh so that same night he lured the first crack whore down to the bridge and again that was his words (laughs) and got her high and was trying to get information about the old lady's whereabouts she acted like she didn't know so he beat her up and he raped her and killed her Jeez. He put her in some bushes and then he went and lured a second girl and he did the same to her as he did the last one. But as he was about to throw her in the bushes, he said he noticed that a black man down by the river was fishing and looking up at him. So he grabbed the steel pipe that was laying down and ran down and laid it on his head wide open, laid his head wide open. So he put the two girls and him in the river and laid them, laid them down with rocks. Wow. Um, he sounds a little angry. Yeah, it sounds like he definitely has some anger issues he needs to work through. So that was a very, uh, very busy night for him. He claimed that he did five murders within about seven hours. Yeah, I'll say it's a busy night. Dang. So, um, he washed up in the river and then got cleaned up and cleaned up the crime scenes as much as he could. And then about two, two and a half weeks later, he was arrested and charged with the murders of the two men. Um, the ones that he had chopped up. Mm. So he spent close to 18 months in Baltimore city jail waiting to go to trial. The trial lasted one week and it was thrown out of court because of the lack of evidence. Um, so he was free again, and he went back and talked his old boss into giving him his job back, which uh, was the, a pallet company. And then there was a little trailer on the property, so he told his boss to let him stay there and that he'd keep an eye on the place. He agreed um, that you know he would show up for work, do his job, stay out of trouble. His boss agreed, gave him the keys. Um, he got the keys to the front gate, the main building. So the company was on a dead end road and it was very isolated. It was very perfect for uh, what he had in mind to do. Yeah, definitely um, being isolated. I can't believe that the trial got thrown out after one week and he just was free to go. It's scary to think probably how many times that that happens for like a serial killer just like gets some luck and gets off and just gets to keep going about his normal life. It's scary. Mm, normal-ish. <laughs> I guess normal for him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not normal for uh, regular people. <laughs> so he murdered Kimberly Spicer in the fall of 1995. She'd been working as a prostitute in South Baltimore. Methany was driving a forklift for the company that he had made the wooden pallets. And that he was living in his small trailer um, located near his employee, employer. Well, one night, Methany brought Spicer to his trailer where he brutally killed her, dismembering her body and discarding parts of it under some wooden pallets at his work that nobody would notice. He's got a lot of dark corners. Yeah. During his confessions to the authorities, Methany admitted to committing some very horrific acts. One of which, Catherine Magnusers, Magnusers, sorry. Yeah. Um, Well, anyway, her skull um, was found. She had been working as a prostitute, and he invited her into the trailer. After she stepped inside, he stabbed her and strangled her to death before dismembering her body. Apparently, six months later, he went back to the place where he had discarded some of her remains and found her skull, cleaned it off, and then he had sex with it. 
With her skull? Yes. Ugh, what the? This guy's just dark. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew he was dark from the first uh, two chopped up murders, but just keeps getting uh, more and more uh, downward, I guess. Yeah, you keep sipping your wine over there. I got more to more to <laughs> oh, tell you. Um, so then he lured in two more females into the trailer. Uh, he killed and butchered their bodies. He cut up the meat and put it in some Tupperware bowls, and then he put it in the freezer. He buried the rest of the remains in several shallow graves in the wood behind his company. I just have to say, like, how does a person go from, like, obviously murdering people, but then thinking, hmm, I want to save their meat, like the meat of their body, and just, like, save it to eat. Like, how do you go from one point to another, like... I just can't wrap my head around it. Over the next couple weeks, on the weekends, I, he opened up a little pit beef stand. I see where I'm going with this. Oh my god. I had read that real roast beef and pork sandwiches, so why not? They're very good. The human body taste was very similar to pork. No, probably not. I'm going to... No. <sighs> I just don't no. ever want to find out. If you mix it together, no one can tell a difference. Yes, yes, we can. I'm n- well, n- obviously never. not because he did it, and people didn't. And say people anything. didn't notice. <sighs> Everything was going pretty good until he ran out of his special meat. Special meat. So I lured another girl up to the trailer, got her inside, started to rip her clothes off, and then knocking the hell out of her. She was screaming, but there was no one around here except for me. And I just kept laughing at her. That's sad. So, he turned around for a split second, and he claims that was his his big mistake. So, she ran out the door, and before he could get to her, she there was an eight-foot chain-link fence that was barbed-wired on top and around the front of the company. There was a stack of wooden pallets next to the fence, about 10 feet high. She scaled those pallets like a monkey and jumped the fence. Ran down to the main road, and there were some guys in a pickup truck. They picked her up and took her to the nearby gas station where she called 911. Well, the cops were on the way, so he didn't run, though. He gathered up her clothing, grabbed the keys to the gate, went and opened it. And as soon as he stepped out of the gate, the cops pulled up and the cop jumped out, pulled the gun out on him, told him to get on the ground. And that is where it all came to an end. They took him down, booked him. She told them that she said she was going, he was going to kill her like the rest, which was true, he claimed. They had him sitting in a little room at Homicide, drilling him, damn near just getting him to say anything in any way, just trying to get the story out, trying to find out what he had done. Uh, They pulled him out of city jail every day for one month, taking him back and forth between the company and the bridge. So I'm assuming they were looking for the bodies. Yeah. Um. They were going crazy over the company, digging up the remains of those two girls there because he had the remains buried in seven different holes. The only thing that he said he felt bad about any of this is that he didn't get the, he didn't get the murder of the two motherfuckers he was really after, his quote. And that was his ex and the bastard that he she hooked up with again his quote <laughs> <laughs> well that's a story and it is horrible but it is true so the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before make sure you think about this because you never <sighs> know what you may be eating i'm never this makes me never want to go out to eat <laughs> like it makes me just want to like be a vegetarian just in case. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I get, like, he's upset. He came home, like, 
and like his kid was gone his wife was gone his the whole house was gone like nothing was there so high triggered yeah but i mean better ways to deal with your yeah emotions. i get can't go to social services because you know you're a druggie and ex-felon you know but all those other people had nothing to do with it right then that's just especially goes to show how like twisted he was that you know he brought innocent people into the the mix of whatever you know psychological thing he obviously was going through yes um I don't know. I don't know what triggers people to get to this point. Yeah. But um, it's crazy. During his confession to the police, Metheny started saying that he enjoyed killing and he wouldn't apologize to the families of his victims because an apology would be a lie. He wasn't sorry for what he'd done. He went on to explain that God knew about what he did and that he was quite happy to be judged by him. By an actual judge in a court of law. Metheny was initially given the death sentence plus 50 years for kidnapping of Rita Kemper, but however, he wound up getting the death sentence reduced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, he was found dead in his prison at the Western Correctional Institute in Cumberland, Maryland on August 5th, 2017 where he died at the age of 62 in prison. Ugh. That just, like, makes my stomach hurt. Th I mean, the whole thing, but, like, just also knowing that he was feeding people human meat, un like, when they were unaware. How does it feel that you had my husband's chili right before I, I told the story? We literally had chili for dinner. <laughs> now we're talking about this. We're so twisted. <laughs> I promise you the only thing in there was deer. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take your word for it. Maybe some kidney beans, and, you know, <laughs> some mushrooms, but. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad I uh, didn't think about that story too hard before I ate the chili. Because <laughs> then I probably couldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. People, if you see a little meat stand somewhere. I mean, I'm not trying to hurt people's businesses who actually have legit meat stand things. But, you know, just maybe take a second and reflect if you, if you know, check check the vibes. See if it seems legit. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's wild. <laughs> I feel bad he got robbed with the time with his son. But at the same time, I for their lifestyles of them both being drug and addicts and... I feel like that kid probably did not have a chance. No, because how good of a father could he have with been? With either one that he's with. Now, I didn't look up a lot of... There's so much more research I could have done with the story, and I could have told a lot more details. I know other people have covered this as well. Um, so I didn't really look into too much to what happened to the son. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just... Uh, if you know, write in and you can tell us and let us yeah. know and we'll read it online. But um, hopefully he ended up being better than his parents. Yeah. Hopefully that, like, loop or whatever stopped with him so then, you know, he could be better. Because I can't imagine how he feels, too, knowing that that was his dad and that's what he did. Ugh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us yeah so on to another cannibal um this guy's name was peter bryan uh so he was this like english cannibal serial killer um so let's like kind of talk about who he was um obviously aside from being a cannibal killer uh, but like where he came from and kind of what led him to that choice that he made in life um so he was born in london on october 4th 1969 and he was the youngest of seven children of immigrant parents who came from barbados he attended shaftesbury junior school in forest gate before attending trinity secondary school in canning town he ended up leaving school at the age of 14 or 15 and obtained um, employment at a clothes stall 
and he later moved on to teach cooking lessons at his local soup kitchen. So like, you know, pretty normal so far. Um, so kind of where the juicy details, I guess, maybe poor choice of words. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> but in 1987, uh, Peter Bryan lived in the Flying Angel Custom House in East London, which I just have to say all these names are so cool. Like just all these like buildings and companies in London. I'm just like, all oh, the names are just so brilliant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one night police were called when he actually attempted to throw another resident from his sixth floor window. The victim reported that the initial attack by Brian was unprovoked. Police took no action against Brian in the attack, um, which I don't understand why no action at all was taken. I mean, the person didn't actually end up getting thrown, but Brian definitely attempted to throw them. So you'd think there'd be some sort of policy in place to like some sort of punishment against him. Then in 1994, Brian was sent to Rampton Secure Hospital, um, which is like a type of psychiatric hospital, after he admitted to the murder of a 21-year-old shop assistant named Nisha Seth. Sheth, excuse me. Nisha had been beaten to death by Brian with a hammer just a year before in 1993. So, Peter Brian found his appetite for killing, if you will, um, after he battered this young woman to death in a fashionable King's Road boutique. I guess he had fallen for Nisha. Um, she was a 20-year-old daughter of the shop owner, um, and she was working as a shop assistant, but was ultimately fired after being caught stealing clothes. A week later, on March 18, 1993, Brian, who was then 23 at the time, and he was living in Derby Street, Forest Gate in East London, he returned to get his revenge. He knocked on Nisha's 12-year-old brother, or he knocked him to the floor and battered her over the head with a claw hammer as she was on the phone. Nisha was dead before the ambulance even got there. An hour later, Brian, who was high on cannabis, jumped from the third floor balcony of a building in Battersea in an apparent suicide attempt. He survived and admitted the manslaughter of Nisha on the grounds of diminished responsibility. So after admitting this and everything, he obviously got placed in the psychiatric hospital. Um, and while he was still in there, Brian was concluded to be schizophrenic. And by February 2001, the nursing staff thought that he had made considerable progress in regard to his, um, and they said his behavior, his attitude, maturity, relationships, anger, and insight. So they really thought that he was, like, pretty much cured and, like, he was, like, doing so well and everything like that. So Brian was then transferred from Rampton in June 2001 to the John Howard Center after a six-month trial leave. Um, the project agreed to by the home office. He was released to the care of a psychiatrist and a social worker. After applying to a mental health review in 2002, Brian was moved to the Riverside Hostel in North London, where he was allowed to come and go as he pleased. And in October 2003, psychiatrists noted there had been continued improvement in his mental state and talked of plans for a move to a more independent type of accommodation. For me, like, I, I understand that he was deemed mentally unstable, so that's why, you know, he was in all of these mental health facilities. But he still murdered an innocent girl, and I just don't know why just nine years later there's even, like, a discussion for independent living accommodations for him. Like, it's just crazy to me that he murdered someone, but they're like, oh, I mean, I know that it was on the counts of, like, mental instability that they said, but the fact that they're just, like, gonna let him go back to normal life, like, pretty soon after, like, murdering someone... Yeah, no, there should uh, there should be some extended prison time there. I mean. Right, like I, I, the mental facility is great for the beginning, I guess, to try and like 
treat him there, but then also he still needs to pay the punishment for the crime. Oh my god, absolutely. And you know their their family's gotta be enraged. Or her family, I'm sorry, enraged. Yeah. You know, the survivors. Yeah, and knowing that he is even being considered to just like transition back into normal life. I would be fighting that tooth and nail. Yeah, same. Uh, So in January 2004, social workers applied for the transfer of Brian to low support accommodation. Uh, But thankfully, instead, Brian was transferred to an open psychiatric ward at Newham General Hospital for his safety after allegations arose that he had incidentally assaulted a 16-year-old girl. Um, Surprise. Right. And that info is not 100% confirmed. Those are just allegations. I mean, but considering all that we know about him so far, I just wouldn't be shocked to find out that it was confirmed to have actually happened. Um, A month later, on February 17th, 2004, Brian was discharged and released from the mental health unit. Big mistake, because just hours... Hours after being discharged, Peter Bryan went on and killed his friend, Brian Cherry. As reported, the victim had been dismembered and officers found a frying pan on the stove with tissue from the dead man's brain. Oh my god. Yeah, just hours after being released. Like, that's... (laughs) And how do you hold it in so well to be such a great... Mm Mm-hmm. The manipulation. And then all of a sudden, like, what? Yeah, get off the bus and, like, you can't take it no more. And you kill your friend, not even a stranger. Like, your friend. It's like he knew, like, I have to act this way to get out so that I can do it again. After he was released, so this was, like, the day that he was released, he went straight to a DIY shop where he bought a claw hammer, a Stanley knife, and a screwdriver, and then went to go and kill Brian Cherry. Police were called to Cherry's flat to discover a semi-naked Brian brandishing a carving knife and covered in dried blood. Both of Cherry's arms and one of his legs had been severed from his body. In the kitchen, there were parts of Cherry's flesh found in cooking in a frying pan. Brian told police following his arrest, I ate his brains with butter. It was really nice. (laughs) More brain tissue and hair matted with blood was heaped on a plate next to a knife and fork on the draining board. Like he was just planning to like eat that next. Brian later added, I would have done something else if you hadn't come along. I wanted their souls. Now that just gives me goosebumps that he's like, I wanted their souls. You like trap it in a right, like what would like you box? Do? Or like, what do you do? What do you... It reminds me of like Pulp Fiction, where they always thought his souls were in the box. Oh yes, yep. Like the whole movie, they wanted to know what was the light that was in the box he kept opening. Right, that was Pulp Fiction, right? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. With um, what's his name? Oh my gosh, Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson, yeah. Dude, yeah, seriously, I don't know how he was planning on doing that, but when he said that, that just gave me goosebumps. Um, Now, Mr. Cherry's skull had been smashed open with at least 24 blows from the hammer, and his head had been partly sewn off. Brian had also hacked off his right leg and both arms. Blood was spattered around the living room, and three bloodstained knives were, like, just thrown all around the floor. It was a mess. Um, One of the cops working on the case, um, he said that the severed left leg was partly sawn and partly fractured. At the top of the right left, the muscle had been completely divided, and superficial sawing of the bone had commenced. So, like, he was going in hard, like, just pretty much dissecting this guy. The pathologist concluded that the defendant had been interrupted before he could complete the amputation of that limb. And Brian later admitted that he was comforted by the smell of blood and added, I used the Stanley knife to cut them off and some other kitchen knives, but I had to stomp on them to break the bone. 
Even at Pentonville Jail, he told a member of the staff that he wanted to kill a warder and eat someone's nose, and prison officers had to use riot shields when unlocking his cell in case of, like, an attack. And, like, I know we're aware that we're talking about cannibals here, but to even still just, like, read that and know that that's real, it's just so chilling that people even have to work with, like, real-life cannibals and be scared that they're gonna just, like, bite their faces off. Brian was then forced to Broadmoor Hospital, um, which is another psychiatric facility, after appearing in court over Cherry's death. Now, the court cases so far have been pretty to the point, not much room for argument on his side when he admits, you know, and he was caught red-handed. So while in the facility that he's been placed in on April 25th, Brian then killed his fellow patient named Richard Loudwell, who was the age of 59 while still in Broadmoor. Loudwell died after sustaining serious head injuries in the attack, which took place in the dining room of the ward. No staff were present in the dining room at the time. It was around 6.10 p.m., and three members of the staff heard two bangs coming from the dining room and found Mr. Loudwell lying on the floor next to a table and chair. His face was covered in blood, and there was a strangulation mark around his neck. He died on June 5th from bronchopneumonia, which was caused by his severe brain injuries. And when Brian was found, he admitted he had tried to st- strangle Mr. Loudwell with a piece of cord and smashed his head on the floor. Yeah, but like, I just have to wonder, where is the staff? Why was there no staff in the ward? Like, they were scared and left. <laughs> yeah, like... It just blows my mind that there just wasn't anyone, like, no security for, like, the patients. But Brian told doctors, he says, I get these urges, you see. I've had these urges ever since I saw him. He's the bottom of the food chain, old and haggard. He looked like he'd had his innings. I was just waiting for my chance to get at him. I wanted to kill him and eat him. I didn't have much time. If I did... I'd have to try to cook him and eat him. When asked if wanting to eat people was normal, Brian replied, Of course it's normal. Cannibalism is normal. It's been here for centuries. If I was on the street, I'd go for someone bigger, you know, for the challenge. I felt excited when I attacked him. I wanted to shag him when he was alive and also (laughs) when he was dead. I wanted to cook him, but there was no time, nor was there access to cooking equipment. I briefly considered eating him raw. Well, if that's normal, I'm glad I'm freaking weird. Same. I don't know. I don't know what kind of people he hung out with growing up, but like, I personally don't know anyone that you know enjoys eating people. (laughs) Yeah, he got real, um, real detailed with that. (laughs) He then named another patient as his next target and added, "It's something like a ritual. I must be becoming a serial killer or something." Like, I just can't handle this. Or something. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go puke really quick because this is just so nasty to me. It might be. I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess I'll just keep seeing, you know, but this is all normal. Yeah. He's like, I've killed three people and I've eaten them. Um, But, you know, I I think But isn't everybody? I mean. Right. But that's normal. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't? I mean. Right. (laughs) God. Um, The report said Brian had been intending to kill Loudwell for some time prior to the attack, and Loudwell even complained that he was being bullied by other patients, but his pleas to the staff were ignored. The report, you know, found that nobody was helping him, even though he was, like, scared that something was going to happen. And that's so sad to me that he felt it and that he tried to ask for help and literally no one did anything. That's, like, a horrible facility, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. Bullying was not treated sufficiently seriously by any member of the clinical team, nor was it given the priority it merited in Loudwell's case. The report criticized the trust for not carrying out a risk assessment on Brian before he attacked Loudwell. The report stated, Had a risk assessment been carried out properly, then it is likely that Peter Bryan would have been recognized as highly dangerous. Which, she should have been recognized as dangerous anyways, because he had already killed two people. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) 
The report found that it was not appropriate that patients on the ward were allowed out of the sight of staff. The health trusts involved apologized for failures in the handling of the case, but revealed that nobody had been disciplined as a result. Like, you're kidding. That's horrible. Nobody was disciplined? It just Why would they be? It's normal. <laughs> it just goes to show, like, the whole system's just effed up, like... I don't know, someone should have been held responsible for, like, I mean, obviously Brian, but, like, and staff, too, like, or the way that their scheduling is there, I don't know. Following Mr. Loudwell's death, the trust had reduced the number of patients on the ward where the killing took place. There are now also increased numbers of qualified nurses working on the ward and more patient observation. So that's, like, better knowing that they're actually trying to, like, improve and prevent the same mistakes to be made in the future because it's just like horrible that they weren't doing that in the first place it always takes something horrible to happen before changes are made i know sadly brian was able to function in such a way that made it difficult for even experienced health professionals to detect just how dangerous he was Uh, Brian had said that if he had not been interrupted by the staff and security stopping him, he would have continued and eaten Loudwell's flesh. It's just love. Now, fast forward to 2011, an inquest ruled that Brian had properly and had not been adequately assessed by Broadmoor staff, which, I mean, you think? I'm sorry, but, like, this man should have been in isolation. I just don't think he should have been around any other patients for safety especially when they had stated before that the people working there would use shields when they would go to like let him out because they were so scared that he was going to attack him and it's like why would you just let him around other patients so he really is like the real life Hannibal Lester. yeah seriously they wheel him out on a dolly and <laughs> right they should have um, two inquiries into Brian's case faulted National Health Service managers for leaving the 39-year-old killer in the care of a social worker who had no mental health training and who was in over his head dealing with a notoriously manipulative patient, um, according to the London Evening Standard. The reports noted that the nature of his condition meant that Brian was incredibly manipulative and able to appear normal even as his mental health was incredibly deteriorated. I guess his schizophrenia made it, like, extremely easy for him to come off like he was completely mentally fine and just let him manipulate the people in the facility around him to make them think that he was somehow fixed and, like, not a threat to the outside world. But that's, like, exactly what he wanted them to think. Uh, So basically a systematic failure in the treatment of schizophrenic um, allowed him to murder a friend and eat parts of his brain before he went on to kill the fellow patient. Um, which is just sad. I don't know. If they caught it before, then that wouldn't have happened. Neither of those people would be dead. But um, in a damning report to the case, uh, they also found that while living in the community, Brian was looked after by an inexperienced social worker and a psychiatrist who had never worked with a convicted killer. That's just another thing. It's like, he didn't have anyone who was an expert in mental health, and he didn't have anyone who worked with, like, anyone who had killed people before. And I'm just like, how is he going to improve at all obviously there's something psychologically wrong with him but how is he gonna like mentally improve if he doesn't have the right type of help so in 2003 um brian was placed in a position where he was allowed to self-medicate i i don't understand this like i don't know how these people are allowing him (laughs) Like, just do whatever it takes to feel better. Right. Like, he killed two people and, like, and was, like, eating people and they were allowing him to just, like, decide his own medication. I don't know. It's just mind-blowing to me. Um, Okay, so moving to the trial on March 15th, 2005, Brian pleaded guilty um, at the Old Bailey to two manslaughters on the grounds of diminished responsibility Again, like I said earlier, there wasn't much 
you know, any lawyers could do for Peter Bryan because he admitted and was caught in all the murders, so it wasn't that long of a trial. Uh, the judge, who was Judge Giles Forrester, in court actually said, You had the urge to not only kill, but also to eat the flesh of your victims. You experienced feelings of power and invincibility. Not only that, but you gained sexual excitement from the act of battering your victims to death. The earlier treatment at the hospital did not cure your disease, and there is no reason to believe a hospital order now will do what it failed to achieve back in 1994. It is clear that you can appear calm and cooperative while harboring bizarre psychotic beliefs. Um, so Forrester then sentenced Brian to um, whole life tariff, which I think like that's like life sentence in that's London. What it like. Yeah. <laughs> which uh, um, I'm in favor of. Yeah, he needs to not be near people. <laughs> In 2006, Lord Chief Justice Lord Phillips overturned the whole life tariff, but said it was unlikely that Brian, who is mentally ill, clearly, uh, would ever be released. The sentence ended up being changed to a minimum of 15 years, and Brian was committed to Broadmoor Hospital for treatment. That's, like, unsettling to me. The 15-year mark for him to be released is right around the corner, and the last time that they released him... Because they thought he was doing better, he killed not even a stranger, but his friend just hours later on the same day. So, I don't think he's getting out after 15 years, but that's the minimum, and that's, like, coming up soon, and I just think that that's crazy that they changed it. And if he does, and your friends and your family, um, let's maybe not invite him into your home. Like, wait at least 24 hours. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> Let's see if it passes. Maybe keep your distance for a few days. <laughs> um, but yeah, the lead investigator, lead investigator said he believed that the human body was a natural food source and it made him stronger. He had wanted to kill eight people because he wanted to be known as a serial killer. Like, that was his goal, I guess. Brian even told the doctors he thought he would be released into the community again despite killing three people. Um, and psychiatrist Dr. Martin Locke, uh, who carried out a series of Silence of the Lambs-style interviews with Brian, said that he was the most dangerous man I have ever assessed. So yeah, I feel like he's like very close to the real-life uh, Hannibal Lecter. So you picked the very good, closer <laughs> one. Mine just wanted to make chili. <laughs> yours had, yours had um, business uh, ambition. <laughs> Yeah, it was a more of a personal attack. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he told the doctor, You look like a brainy chap, and you are quite slim. I think I could take you. Brian also described the victim's arm and legs as tasting like chicken. So your guy thinks uh, people taste like pork, and my guy thinks they taste like chicken. I'm going to just have to take their words for it because I don't ever want to try. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I, I get those two together, they could have a all-out feast. Yeah, they would have Different a flavors. lovely dinner together. Majaffrey um, said that Brian should die behind bars, which agreed. And he added... He is at his most deadly when he is able to present himself as entirely calm and settled. This case reveals a chilling insight into the mind of a man who had developed an appetite for killing. So hopefully he stays in prison or wherever, like mental facility, something on just deep security lockdown for the rest of his life because this man should not be near anybody. But yeah, that is uh, cannibal Peter Bryan. And it's just wild that there's so many uh, so many cannibals out there. And uh, you watch Science of the Lambs, and you're like, oh, it's just a movie. It's just a psychological thriller. No, no, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's honestly mind-boggling because it just seems so far-fetched in, like, nor like people like our, us, like our minds. Like, it, it's just, like, you don't hear about that too often and it's just so shocking when you do hear about it and it's like how does a person get to that point i just i don't know what happens psychologically but Dahmer, he set the bar 
Yeah, I actually just watched the movie My Friend Dahmer. Um, oh, was it good? Yeah, it was pretty good. And then I wanted, then I watched like a documentary on him because the movie kind of was just his childhood, and then it like stopped before he killed anybody. Um, so then I wanted to like, you know, just watch like a documentary on like his actual like criminal life and all that. And yeah, it's just crazy. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what the switch is from like just killing people to like then killing and eating people. They just like snap. Like. Yeah. Fully snap. Snap, crackle, pop, man. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I can't imagine to getting to that level of angry. I mean, I have a teenager, so I get the anger part sometimes, but never that angry. Like, Yeah. It has to be, like, a lot of... I mean, I feel like a lot of it has to be how they grew up and, like, what they experienced growing up. And, like, obviously, along with that, something not mentally right or developed in their brain that allowed them to, like, handle situations in, like, an emotionally mature way. Because it's just crazy how far some people go. But yeah, I hope that was a tasty story for you guys. <laughs> tasty. <laughs> tasty little Halloween treat. Yes, hopefully you didn't, uh, hopefully you're not eating while you're listening to this or like lose your appetite. I probably should have said that in the beginning of the episodes, not the end. Yeah, we probably should have put a disclaimer, like don't eat while you're listening If you you're having Halloween soup or chili, do not listen to this as uh Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't recommend (laughs) but yeah thank you guys for listening um if you know of any more cannibal stories hit us up you know dm us instagram facebook um you can email us horrorwineandcrime at gmail.com we would love to hear your stories or your thoughts and yeah uh we have another episode coming at you next week and if you're listening Have a good night, best friend Dex Shepard. Love you. (laughs) Stay creepy. Bye. Bye. Bye.